and welcome to the latest edition of Downs Your Way. This is edition seven and it's the first one of 2020. So I shall take this opportunity to say Happy New Year to our listener, wherever you are. Today I'm delighted to be with Nigel Darville, our keys player. And I'm actually in Nigel's lair, deep in the basement of his home in the south of Birmingham, in his own personal studio with everything that you might expect to see there. More keyboards than you can shake a stick at, including computer keys, a, a mixing desk, loudspeakers, various posters on the wall. And I suppose this is really a return to the Back to the Start series. I'm hoping to get around to interview all the band members in due course. Obviously spoken to Steve and Rebecca. And today it's Nigel. So Nigel, welcome to our podcast. Hello. Hi Colin. Hi everybody. So... What we've done with the others is really started right at the beginning, so go right back. So where, where, where and when did Nigel Darville appear in the world? Uh, okay, I'm from Redditch, which you may also know as the birthplace of John Bullen. So, um, yeah, I'm from Redditch, that's where I was born and bred. And um, my dad played uh, the organ at the local church, and so he sent me for piano lessons when I was but a, a lad. Uh, I wasn't that keen on them at start. I'd rather have been playing football and all the other things that you do when you're a six or seven year old. Um, but anyway, I, I I took to it quite well. And then when I got into my early teens, I decided I didn't really like playing all the, the classical pieces I was being taught for exams and things. And I started playing a bit of um, a bit of rock and roll and a bit of blues uh, at a youth club actually. And then started to put some little bands together. Uh, with my mates in and we used to play in each other's front rooms whoever had a piano I could go and bang on and uh, all of that and I tried I tried everything I tried to play guitar harmonica bass but I kept coming back to uh, playing uh, keys I tried all the other instruments because to be in a band then you, it was quite difficult to carry a piano around and uh, I didn't have anything electronic at that stage um, until I've bought a second-hand organ when I was about, I was about 17, I think, 16, 17. I managed to get a second. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't a posh one. It was a, it was, it wasn't brilliant at all. But it meant I could actually start um, to play in, in a couple of bands, and that's, you know, you serve your apprenticeship doing that, uh, playing lots of little gigs. Uh, then um, I, su- I suppose some of these. None of these bands really went anywhere, to be quite honest. Uh, I used to really enjoy going and seeing lots of people. So I used to, the bands I used to go and watch um, then would have been, I used to like watching Deep Purple, um, The Nice, Led Zeppelin. I saw all of those bands. Uh, and that was a great, I think those sort of influencing bands of the time that um, really got me. Um, and then I had the opportunity when I was around late to, uh, I was about 20 when um, I was able to join a band properly which meant I was in a backing band uh, and um, so it was made up of me I was, I had, and for that I then bought a Hammond organ um, and I had a dreadful electronic piano <laughs> of the time and uh, anyway I had a couple of keyboards the had a guitarist drummer bass player and we were a backing band. And the first artist we backed was Dwayne Eddy, who I'd not really heard of. He was obviously the king of twang. 
he was absolutely brilliant. Um, and he had a big, this very loud guy with him played saxophone. And that was a great introduction to the discipline of learning songs and playing them and um, getting them right. And we played some fantastic shows with that. With that. And I did my very first recording session with that, which was um, a John Peel session, funnily enough. Right. At Maida Vale. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a recording studio. And then we did some other artists as well, a guy called Johnny Tillotson the year after. And then I ended up uh, playing for Edwin Starr for a year with that band. Right, okay. So that was all war and SOS, and that yeah. was, those were... Now these sorts of things, this is really glamorous, we did two shows every night. Really? Bands. Yeah. So you, didn't do, you did a show somewhere like in the middle of Norfolk, and then one in the centre of London, same night. Blimey. Yeah. And then, well, if, if, in Birmingham, it was one in Coventry, one in the centre of Birmingham. But, uh, and, you, and you had to shift the kit, or did you have kit? No, no, no. That's four of you in the band. You set up, you yeah. played the show, yeah. broke it down, went to the next one, set up, broke it down. Good grief. And went to the next one. And um, they did that all in the UK, Europe, and a lot in Germany, and Belgium, Holland, some a few in France. Um, even Luxembourg, played in Luxembourg once. Christ. So, anyway, so that was my, and in a way, that was my apprenticeship. Yeah. Uh, so, were you a, a full time musician then? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It wasn't time to do anything else. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it was it two gigs a night. I mean, it was great as an apprenticeship. Like all apprentices, you didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> well, nothing's changed. Like, all, all I ever wanted to be was in the band. Yeah. I never got the making money bit right for ages. Because, um, yeah, I don't know, it didn't, we weren't getting paid a fortune. But it was great fun. It was good to do. And what sort of size audiences were you going out in front of at that stage? Uh, well, my first gig was the Lyceum. Right. In London. So it's a big theatre gig. So there's a couple thousand people there. Yeah, yeah. We did, the, we did one with We did the rooftop um, cafe bar at Bieber's in Kensington. That was quite well attended. Uh, I don't know. Some of the clubs, little clubs, three or four hundred people. Right, okay. Um, some were bigger shows. And with Edwin, we did lots of American air bases. Right, yeah, yeah. I can, I can imagine. Some of those, big audiences for some of those shows. Yeah. Um, and clubs. So clubs you got from like 200 to 500, 600 people in some of the, the clubs, maybe even more. Some depend. depends. Okay. Yeah. So where, where, are, where next after that? Uh, I joined a band in Birmingham then. I got fed up being the backing band stuff. I wanted to become... I wanted to join a band. <laughs> I joined one in London for a bit. That didn't work out. So I did join one in Birmingham called Hooker, which was in the, in the late 70s, mid 70s, late 70s. Yeah. Uh, and that, in, that was with James Langston, who'd been in Tea and Symphony, and Paul Poucher, Mark Brister, and a drummer called Ray Meadows at the time. Yeah. And, and then it's had some personnel changes over the years. We, 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 we were a great band. We actually did New Faces. All right. <laughs> Around the time, like when Lenny Henry used to do all that. that uh, they didn't win a dog and a dog and a bloke one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the equivalent. What would that be the equivalent of now? Like Britain's Got Talent, yeah. would it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Just to put it into perspective for those of you who are not yeah. familiar with it. And then that band changed. When punk happened, then we had to change some things. So we ended up being called the Main Street Dealers, having done. Um, we had a few name changes. One was School Sports, one was Main Street Dealers, and became the Dealers. But well, what were the Main Street Dealers? <clears throat> there was a very 
there's a very iconic gig in Birmingham called the Railway, which a lot of people played, and the Barrel Organ, all those other pub gigs. And we, we used to play those. Mm. And at the Railway, we actually recorded a live album uh, using a Rolling Stones mobile. Somehow we got that. And uh, Bob Lamb recorded it and produced it. And, and uh, uh, the, we did the single got released from it called Japanese Motorbikes. And um, the al- and an album we did a thousand. It was it was crowd crowdfunding in the early stages. We <laughs> right. got all of our fans, yeah, uh, to buy uh, a voucher to help us pay for the recording. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So they got an album at a better price, and yeah. with some other stuff that maybe a poster or something we put with. It, I can't remember. Um, uh, and so that paid for the recording of the album. Then the rest of them we then sold. Right. So yeah, so it was like an in- independent resourcefulness. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so that was that. Um, so and then I stopped it about nine, uh, in the early eighties. That band, like all bands, sometimes it kind of reached the end of its. Mm. It's when it kind of did is it reached the end of its life. Yeah. Of being able to like, we got produced by Vangelis at one point, and you're, you're trying to do all these things to become successful. And eventually, it kind of fell apart, really, and people started doing other stuff. So that was that. So then I went back to being a backing musician again. So I actually, um, I did a session, a, a studio session for uh, Ruby Turner, and uh, that was just playing second keys for a live recording for Radio Two uh, broadcast. And then I ended up. Because the other keyboard player was Bob Wilson at the time, he had to go and do an album with um, I think he did an album with Roy Harper. In fact, it was, and he couldn't do some gigs, so I ended up doing the gigs. Mm. And when he came back, we had two keyboard players because it was the nineteen eighties. <laughs> so I worked with Ruby for a few years, did lots of shows, including I should interject and say a uh, top of the pops, which where pop, which is yeah. on YouTube. We did Glastonbury as well. Yeah, I shall I shall yeah. dig out the link and put it in the blurb oh, at the bottom okay. of the podcast so that people can uh, people can take mm. a look for themselves. Sorry, so, Dick Carroll. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. So that included um, Glastonbury. We did the Montreux Jazz and Blues Festival, uh, which was a fantastic. Um, yeah, well, that's big, big, isn't that it? That was big, big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They rang me up and asked me what keyboards I wanted to use. Would you want to use the grand piano? <laughs> and the Hammond organ. I said, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So those uh, that with Ruby, it was, that was that was a great time. That was a really good band. I really enjoyed that time. Um, and then um, when when uh, Ruby started to do, uh, did an album, then uh, that and it was a promotion for that. We did Top of the Pops and all the rest of it. But at the same time, I was also becoming a keyboard player for the Fine and Cannibals, and I did the touring, all the touring for their first album. Which involved um, so we did uh, we did we did well one of the first things I did with them was the whistle test, which was great. That was something I always wanted to do. And then we went to America, did Europe. We went back to America again, and we did a, the first tour we did in America was our our own promotional tour. That was all clubs. The second tour we did we opened uh, with the UB40 all right, on the yeah. rat, rat, rat in the kitchen tour. Yeah. And uh, so that was much larger venues. I mean, curiously, uh, uh, that's when you entered my consciousness, when you were with the Fine Young Cannibals. And I 
I struggle to know why, uh, in a sense, because uh, you know you did, as you say, you did one tour with them, and all that, but but the name stuck with me more so actually because I think if if like fifteen or twenty years later you'd asked me the name of the lead singer, I'd have probably forgotten it. Mm. But I was I was a great fan of of them, and I had I think they did two albums, did they? I can't remember. Yeah. Two albums. Yeah. I had both the albums, yeah. and I remember you being. And and so, and that's when I kind of left it. And then time went by. And then Rebecca said to me one day about, she said, oh, you know, blah, 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 Nigel Darville. And I, oh, well, used to be with the Fine Young Cannibals, said I. And she said, oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. How did you know that? And it, I, 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 I'd struggle to think now, bearing in mind the role you played in the back, how, you know, that was the case. But yeah, that's when mm. I first, I first remember, mm. remember being aware of you. So anyway, sorry. So do continue. So you did a tour, you did that. The first album and the tour with them, and then well, what? yeah, well, I met them while they were doing the first album. Right. Um, uh, I met them because I used to go and pick them up in the studio in my car to make some money. Because I, I mean, you don't always make a lot of money as a musician. You end up, <laughs> end up doing other things like driving vans or uh, I don't know, working all sorts of different. I, the, jobs. There's a great line I've just read in a book about the music business, and, and where the guy says, "Don't diss the hyphen." And the hyphen is what you are, as a you, so you can be a musician hyphen barista in a coffee shop. Yeah, you can be a musician a hyphen delivery yeah. driver. You know, as he says, don't don't diss the hyphen. Always be conscious of being a, you know a multitasker in the early stages yeah. of your, your career. Well, you know, you always have to uh, you always got to make a living. Yeah, it? exactly. I mean, sometimes yeah. you do music and you get involved in projects and you're going to do them whether you make any money or not. Yeah, that's the nature of the. Uh, that's the nature of uh, what you always do. But no, it was a good time doing the doing, doing the fine camels. I really enjoyed it. And um, they chose to not after they did all the promotion for the first album. Uh, we finished up in in Los Angeles. Did a, did a, a lovely show, a great show there. And then that, they said, "Well, we're going to go and do the next album." Well, it took them two years to do the next album. Mm, mm. Uh, so. Um, which of course was the the, the Roar and the Cook, which is a massive album. Yeah, and yeah. Had, had some fantastic. And they, they did the right thing for them, which was great. Uh, they, they made some fantastic, uh, wrote some great songs. Yes, yeah. So, so it was a very good time. So, after that, I, I came back. I can't remember what, what I did. I was, I was probably looking for some other work at the time, mm. <laughs> and all the rest of it. And I ended up then the, the following year. I did a recording and touring with um, Rankin Roger. All oh, right, yeah. Who unfortunately um, passed away last year, which is really sad because he was he was so young. He was obviously young. Um, so uh, and that was that was a great band. Uh, that you know, that was with myself, um, Fuss Townsend on drums, Bobby Bird on guitar, and Horace Panther, bass player of Special Sir Horace, on on bass and Roger. So that was a, that was a really cooking band. That was, uh, and again we did. Um, did, did some gigs in the UK and Europe, and we again we did uh, a couple of tours of the United States with that lineup. That was that was again so that was a really good time. So yeah, so that was kind of like um, that. So that's the early part of, of what I did, and then after that, um, um, we, 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 my wife and I, we started a family and all that. So I ended up then going and working for a studio. In Birmingham, mm. I had a tour that didn't work out, and again, you're going to make some money. So, I, I I'd always had uh, some recording equipment, and uh, I spent a lot of time at Bob Lamb's studio. I recorded an album with um, a really good friend of mine called John Caswell, 
mm. uh, Vineyards in Japan, which is a fantastic album. And we, with that, we toured that a bit, quite a bit. We did a gig, we had a hit record in France with that. Um, with, um, and so we, uh, we went gigged over in Paris. That, that was in, in the 80s as well. Uh, I, I did loads of recordings there for lots of different artists over the years. Um, and um, I ended up being, when, when Bob played the drums, uh, I, used, I, I, I was on the mixing desk, so he'd go and record the drums. So I, I, was, I was mixing the sound for that and recording it down to tape. So that's how I learned how to do some sound engineering. And I got interested in what microphones you use, where you put them, and all, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, so I had some competence as, as, as doing that. And uh, I, I toured, didn't work out at the end of one year. And um, um, another friend of mine had a studio, Bob Wilson had some, has got a studio, and uh, he's, he, he couldn't do some stuff. So I got invited to go and do a bit of sound engineering there. Then I worked the sound engineer at another studio in Birmingham, which is called uh, Electric Avenue. And then I ended up, um, I did a recording session at Central Television Studios, and they were looking for somebody to do sound engineering for their studio. And uh, I went and started working for them. And then I ended up managing that studio. So that was interesting times. Because I got to work with some, a lot of other artists there, only as, as you know, Sound engineer organised these sessions. Did a, spent a long time there doing um, album steel puffs. They came in a lot. Uh, uh, I suppose that the best session I, I ever had there was we had three nights when Stevie Wonder came in and recorded, and uh, so I got to uh, listen and watch him work, which was absolutely fantastic. One of the, one of the highlights of. Uh, of uh, anything you could do in your life, really, to be honest with you. Yeah. Really wonderful life. Um, so I enjoyed that. And we had a lot of other people in there as well. Um, and then I, I started setting up my own little place here, which is where we're sitting now, and started writing some music for, a bit of music for telly. Mm. And uh, a little bit of music for some ads and things like that. Um, and then I ended up teaching, for goodness sake, at a college, which... Um, and then I started doing bands on a more, rather than away touring all the time, I started working for some other local bands just to, because uh, I like doing it. And uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last umpteen years, which is when I met uh, Rebecca. Uh, quite a few years ago now, actually, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I'm not sure, really. I mean, this has been going probably for about six years yeah, or so. So, so, so I think I started doing some gigs about three or four years, years ago. Years ago, yeah. Yeah, you stepped in when Rick wasn't available, and as he's moved on to other things, you've uh, yeah. taken pole position, as it, as it were. Well, that's that's amazing. That's a that's a really interesting interesting story, and uh, and I suppose what what for you would be the biggest highlight of that amazing oh, collection? Oh, of... there isn't there, there isn't one, right? Because I think you you, you know suddenly going from. Birmingham to New York, and then you walk on, you walk into a gig, and you've got a couple of key, few keyboards there that have been hired. You do a sound check, and then you do a show, and you go like, "I'm doing a show in New York for God's sake." <laughs> I mean, it, it's uh, it's things like that really, because it, it it has a degree of surrealness when things happen, yeah, especially yeah. when they happen quite quickly. Yeah. 
Uh, all year on the, st I mean, I've been on some, done some massive, massive festival gigs, and you just look at it and go, oh, wow, that's like, you know, it's more people than you can even imagine. Yeah. And, and you and you you're there and you're playing the intro to a song, so it, it, there is a degree of surrealness. So there's not, I don't think I have. I just, it's just a great experience of life to have done some of these things really. And occasionally people remind me of things I've completely forgotten about. <laughs> because of, because it, hap if it happens, I mean, it's, this thing, it does happen fast. You suddenly go out for a month and you do like 20 dates and you come back. You're not going to remember everything. No, no, I can, no, I can imagine that. Yeah. yeah, you told me a story about going out to America where you, you, you know, you sort of arrived and you were kind of left on your own. For yeah, I was for three days while the band did promotion, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and got a lot of cash, so I, I walked. That wasn't in New York. That was that was that very first time. So I just um, I went did, went to all the museums. It was fantastic, but it was in January, so it was really <laughs> cold. And I hadn't got the best amount of clothing with me. So, but it was great. You know, it's the best way to see anywhere. I I, I do. I think when you you do have a little bit of time on your hands when you are touring, and I think the great way to see places is just to get out of your hotel and. Uh, and have a walk around. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Well, it is, you know, one of the comments I've heard is that you know, one of the great skills of the music business is being able to wait. <laughs> oh, yeah, hurry up and wait. Yeah, you know, hurry, because, hurry, 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 come on, we've got to get this, and then you get there. And, and yeah, there's hours go there's by hours. before anything before anything actually happens. Yeah. I mean, what, it, what it's done from my point of view uh, is, is given somebody who is as relaxed as I think it's conceivably possible to be <laughs> in all the hurly-burly because mm. I mean you know we have some fairly hurly-burly scenarios particularly when we're doing supports we don't get much time for a sound check we've got to get a five-piece act with all the gear onto the stage set up sound checked sometimes in no time at all and I, 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 you know, people can get fraught, but I've, I've never ever seen you get fraught. You just say, well, it's a gig, you know, it's we'll do gig, it, yeah. we'll, we'll do it. We'll, well, it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And, and 100% that always happen. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true, actually. Yeah, I mean, to, to be, you know, I don't want to tempt fate, but no, yeah, at I've the end of the... In my, in the career of doing like the thousands and thousands of gigs that I must have done over the years, you know, you used to get, I used to get very bent out of shape about it um, when you're learning because mm. uh, you want things to be right. Mm. But, you know, somebody pulls something out of the bag and, and, and a gig will happen. I've turned up, you know, you could turn up and the whole PA doesn't work and, like, there's no... Yeah. Somebody hasn't turned up with something or there's something missing. And everybody runs around and gets enough gets stuff it. to make a yeah. show happen. Yeah, Because yeah. people have paid, yeah. bought tickets and... A show has to happen, you know. I, I, well, even in my limited experience, I've I've seen both of those. We turned up once, and a, the PA it wasn't the PA didn't work. It was that in, an entire one side of it wasn't, you know, getting through to the to the desk, and right. Mark had to sort of you know lay a new lay lay a new cable in, you know, you know, in the like the half an hour. Yeah. And the other the other great one that I saw we, when we were in we did a little two gig thing in Germany. Um, and uh, the headline band, a guy had come over from America with one adapter, one, you know, 240 oh, yeah. adapter okay. for his keyboards. So he, he, he and, and of course, contrived to leave it behind at the first gig. So he turns up in, I don't know, insert name of random city, you know, clutching his keyboard, American plugged keyboard, looking 
and that yeah there was a lot of running about and I had, actually the thing they produced was hilarious because it was like it, we were in eastern Germany and it was like something out of the Soviet bloc it was mm. a it was a, a a huge box with with two handles on the side and it had on the on the surface of it every conceivable socket you can imagine from around the world including many many types that I've never seen before and in the middle of this was an American one which he was able to plug in and then the other the other end of it it was like a big transformer but it wasn't sort of thing the other end went into the wall but the, yeah as you say there's always something something gets done so do you want to say a little bit about the people you're working with with now I mean I I I uh, we all enjoy I say we Rebecca, Steve me you know we we love coming to see you when you're performing with Ricky Cool in the in crowd yeah. well so um Six years now. Um, so alongside working with Rebecca over the last few years, um, uh, Ricky Cool, who's been around for a long time in various guises of the Icebergs, the Hula Boola Boys, uh, etc. Um, so six years ago, put a new band together called Ricky Cool and the Crowd, which I joined with uh, John Potter on bass, who's a good friend of mine. Now we have Harry Westencottrell on the drums. David Parry on guitar, and then there's Ricky Cool and Ted Bunting on the saxophones and vocals and, and whatever. And David sings as well. It's great. It's, it's a great band. We dress in suits. We do the music of the early '60s period, which which Mods used to listen to then. And we do a show which is called Flamingo Nights, which tells the story of the Flamingo Club in Soho. As that's one of the one of the shows we do, and we go out and play songs, and it's great. And everybody c comes along and sees us. That's a great time. So it's lots of rhythm and blues, lots of ska. It's a fantastic. It's, it's a very exciting band. It so, is. I mean, and I, you know, if you're listening in, if you ever get the chance, if they turn up to you locally, wherever you are, I thoroughly recommend you going to see them. I don't care what music genre you're into, if you're not sort of uh, moved by yeah, it, and I don't mean that in an emotional sense. I no. mean, literally, if you don't get the beat get of your feet going. get your feet going, you, you, I'd be absolutely astonished. Uh, you're on in Birmingham later this month and we're all lining up to come along and see you again yeah, and, um, and it, it, it's uh, yeah the jam house it, it and you you do gig much further afield so yeah, yeah, you know it, it's it's worth look, checking them out on facebook and yeah. and and seeing where they are because we've got, we've it's got, a great yeah. night it's we've, a great night we've got all that stuff all on the facebook there's loads of videos and all the rest yeah, of it yeah it's, and it's you right. know and if you're out there thinking of a of a of a i say a party band sounds a bit but it, it is, if you if you want to create a party atmosphere at a gig, get these guys along. Mm. They're 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 absolutely stonking, and you'll you'll thoroughly enjoy them. So yeah, that that's good. And I know, uh, you know, you gig with lots of other people as well. It's it's it, you you it's always great to you know we sometimes drift along to the pub to see you wherever yeah, you're doing so it. Yeah, did some stuff with Terry Clark, which is always great. And that's don't get to play with my friend John Caswell with that. And, Howard Smith, it's great. It's good. It's yeah, that's good, uh, good crack that is, and that's like sometimes we do. Yeah, the pub gigs around Birmingham are great. And what do you make of the uh, of the RD music then? Oh, there's the absolutely brilliant. I think that the 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 writing that uh, Steve and Rebecca have done on 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 More Sinner Than Saints is outstanding, and um, the songs are just so well crafted for as a platform for Rebecca's voice. That's the way I like to. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a very good way, of, good, good way of putting it. And uh, well, we we we're getting more and more of those songs into the set, aren't we? As time goes yeah. by, so uh, yeah, yeah. it's uh, and it's great. I mean, it's a great show. It's a great show. It's it's exciting. Um, we, 
I've never done a show, Rebecca, since the very first time where we haven't, we always have a positive reaction, whatever the audience is, and people always come up after us and say how much I've enjoyed it, and and that, even if they've never seen you before. Yeah. And and so, in in a way, you're out. We're we're out doing these shows to spread the word, really, to a lot more people. Yeah, that's a big part of what we're trying to do at the moment. Uh, it it's uh, it's a tough road for all bands at, at our level and you know you to stand out in a in in a sea really of original music you know mm. there's a hell of a lot of people trying to grab the attention of potential audiences but you're right yeah that's what we're trying to trying to do with the, with the current phase and it's great to have you on board and as i said it's it's great fun to work with you i i love all the stories from the old days as, a, mm. as i said a relative newcomer to this game and uh, it, you know, such a fantastic and varied career. And I always think back because you started this by saying, "Oh, well, I did piano lessons, and I didn't really like it." And that, that's true for me. That's exactly what mm. I did. I started off. I think I got to grade three at piano, and unlike you, I didn't turn to modern music as a way of escaping from the drudgery of, I don't know, you know, f- trying to learn furries or whatever it's called. Mm. <laughs> I actually gave it up, sadly. Uh, which has probably protected the world in in in, in its own way, well, but it's know. but you never know, do you? It's always interesting to look back to those kind of crossroads. But it's it it's uh, it's interesting to see a common experience and a common start, and then diverging in completely different directions, and then sort of you know coming back to meet in a peculiar way at, at, at you know much later on. Nigel, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening in will have will have thoroughly enjoyed that. It's great to get the the, the sort of story behind the you know the guy on the stage, um, and as I said we will be taking this out and uh, i've got i've got vince uh, it, our bass player in mind i've got neil um, a new drummer in mind um and then you know probably talk to aiden who steps in to for you when you're uh, you've got a gig clash um so there's there's plenty more of these uh, background stories to be picked up upon this pain grows deep in my heart too little too late because i shouldn't have started no sacrifice confessing nobody with the strength to listen so a huge thanks to nigel darville for sharing the experiences of his musical career there's a lot going on in the rd camp at the moment as we gear up for what is going to be an interesting and exciting year if you are on the email list look out for an update later in the month when we will bring you the full details of the program of gigs in the meantime keep in touch on facebook twitter and instagram and if you haven't done so already why not subscribe to our youtube channel as usual we are offering a merchandise discount to podcast listeners and this episode's code is nigel n-i-g-e-l all in capitals which you enter at the appropriate point in the checkout process at www.rebeccadowns.com forward slash shop as it's january it's a 10 percent discount and it will be applicable for two weeks from Monday the 13th of January. Thank you for listening to Downs Your Way. I'm Colin Speller and I will be back in two weeks' time with another episode. Please check in then. Goodbye and once again, Happy New Year. Can wait.